Ho, 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 ho. Test. We are check, up, Daddy-o. Daddy-o up. Daddy-o up. Welcome back to the Great Dad Podcast, everybody. You're here with getting a new Mo Jamesy. <laughs> you wish you were getting a new Mo Jamesy. Give me a new Mo. Brando, I need a new Mo. And we're here for the exciting conclusion of Deep Rescue, the heroic rescue of the Squalus Submariners by divers. And uh, Brando, uh, when we last left the people, remember old uh, Sabitsky there uh, had just got down to 250 feet, was narked all to hell, but got the job done and got that uh, everything hooked up. And uh, our McCann Rescue Bell is ready. It's ready to rock and roll. Cool, cool. So is this the uh, the first actual use of the McCann Bell? This, this is 1939, and it is the debut use of the McCann Rescue Chamber. Yeah, and it successfully rescues 33 survivors of the Squalus. We talked a little bit about that guy, um, Lieutenant Momsen, who... You know, th- this guy was part of the uh, experimental diving unit, and there was those submarine incidences in the mid twenties. That, uh, in particular, that last one that we had talked about a little bit that that S four, I think, yeah, the S four that had the the divers like trapped in the torpedo room. They went right. down, and and then you know they were communicating via Morse code, banging on the on the hull of the ship and then a storm came and like so there was that there was a an incident in 1925 uh and this guy was talking to the bureau of construction and repair um saying we need a diving bell like here's three examples of of men that we left on the bottom that all died that we could have rescued and his first couple of uh, attempts, you know, they got shut down. And then after that S4 in uh, 1928, they finally approved it. And then here they were like a year later. Bam, it's it's uh, it's go time. We've we've got uh, we've got another incident yeah. to make this work. And he was the guy that he was also, you know, he designed what we talked about in that first one, that Momsen escape lung. You know, that little oxygen rebreather, right. like, like just like a personal escape long where somebody could bail out of the submarine and just go solo on their own. So, I mean, Momsen really is the guy behind both the chamber and the the lung. Right. You know, I wonder why he didn't get, why McCann just swooped in there and took charge. (laughs) And I mean, McCann probably got through all the bureaucratic bullshit because that's what the holdup was, you know, as, as per usual. Well, I think McCann was the guy that finally... Yes. You know, uh, Momsen had the idea, but McCann was the and guy that finally on, he, he did the work. Too, he, though. like, did all the final drawings, all the final revisions of this is how this thing's going to look. This is what we're going to have in there. Well, this is what it's going to be like. But Momsen had already done several rescue chambers. And it, and he went and worked on the salvaged S-4. He went back out into the Keys and did rescue operations with these experimental chambers Unsalvaged S four. Where well, where was McCann? McCann he, came in at the end to get all the glory. Doing. He's he, a goddamn fucking took the glory. He took the maybe, goddamn glory. Maybe this is uh, the the time I should finally tell you that we're changing the name of the show to the James <laughs> Mott Great Diving Podcast. <laughs> Why? Why? Wait a minute. I get a little angry about uh you know. Here's Momsen, who gets a little bit of uh, recognition for his his lung, but he was really the the impetus behind a rescue chamber. McCandice came in, and he was put in charge of the revisions. That's all. He was assigned to the maintenance division. Yes. And he, he, well, I, I don't know. You know, Momsen, I think, pissed a lot of people off back in the early days. Good of man. To, Good trying fucking to get man. The, that's, I agree with you. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know, you know, he pissed off. It was bureaucrats. The it was bureaucratic bullshit that is that plagues a fucking gigantic organization like the military. Uh, it, when the the bottom line should have been a lot of people died. A lot of people died. The loss of life can be mitigated 
if not prevented. And um, they were too busy crunching numbers. Right, right. They, they thought it was virtually impossible to be able to do what he was or that's trying what they to, said. Trying, or that's to, trying what, they what he said. was trying to pitch, you know. Yeah, they, yeah. they know it's not virtually impossible. They just say that shit to stop you spending their money, they, they believe, is their money. Right. Well, eventually they didn't have a choice, right? They they had another rescue where they could have pulled these guys out. And they were having to explain to uh, the government as well as the families of these people why. Hold why it, hold it. This is how I know you were never in the service. They don't, ex- they don't have to explain to the government. The government does not care. There's no explanation. Like, why did they I was die? in the I was they, in the Kiss Army. I, and- I know you were in the Kiss Army, and you're showing me. You were in the Kiss goddamn we, army. We were rocking, rolling all night and partying every day. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. That, that's their. Uh, what's your salute? Like a, throwing a, a chugging a beer, which would be pretty close to the military salute as well. But number of dollars spent in training these people that they would have to get replacements for—that was the impetus. That's where "quote unquote" human lives become important period don't i know you're looking uh, at, i see the if you people god bless out America. there now it's god bless every military every military is like that the mccann rescue bell brando was ready <laughs> you, you don't don't pull a wife on me and just try to change the subject <laughs> oh we're gonna get back to it we're gonna get back to it through this whole thing at eleven thirty, the chamber was hoisted over the side Bell operators John Mahalowski, Mihalowski, and Walter Harmon boarded the chamber and at 11.59 started on the first trip down. The chamber reached the Squalus at 12.12 and was settled easily on the rubber gasket around the hatch. Now came a critical part of the operation. First, Mihalowski and Harmon had to blow the lower compartment of the bell dry, then vent this compartment so both compartments of the bell were at atmospheric pressure. If this were done properly, the force of 242 feet of water would hold the rescue bell to the escape hatch of the submarine. Mihalowski, who was operating the chamber, watched the lower compartment through the small glass port in the hatch leading to the lower chamber. When it appeared this was dry, he vented the pressure. He opened the hatch and dropped quickly into the lower compartment. But instead of being dry, it still had eight inches of icy water. Michalowski recoiled from the cold, but fastened the four safety bolts from the deck of the Squalus to the slots in the lower edge of the chamber. When he was finished, Michalowski was wet and shivering. He unhooked the downhaul wire, moved it aside, turned the wheel of the submarine hatch very slowly, and when he heard a slight hissing of escaping air, He knew rescue was possible. The small amount of water in the lower compartment of the bell dropped into the sub. Then, the floodlight in the bottom of the rescue bell lit up the face of Lieutenant J.C. Nichols, the first man ever to be rescued from a sunken submarine. It was 1245, just 28 hours had passed since the squalus had touched bottom. So a fucking officer's taking uh, the fucking first ride out? Out of my way, private. <laughs> well, well, now, now listen, listen. Inside the submarine. Were his men. Were his goddamn men. <laughs> did, you, did you read the, in the beginning, we talked about the officer to enlisted ratio. Yes. You know, there's like. Who gets four, the salute? For well, the officer, you always uh, enlisted has to salute an officer when they come in the room or they face him walking outside, that kind of thing. It's not so much the salute. The officers are in charge. The enlisted are, you know, the officers are management. Enlisted are actually doing the fucking work. You know, that's why they say I, I'm a sergeant. I work for a living. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, so, right. So anyway, he's one of the officers. He should be like the captain. You go down with the ship, bitch. That's that's why you wear that all that shit on your shoulders. That's right. Okay. 
But that the the. But when the, it comes to the sub rescue, <laughs> hold off. Out of my way, Private. I got a I got a date upstairs. What's going no, on? No, so remember, it's Lieutenant Naquin who's in charge of the ship. I know, but he's still an off. The all the officers are in charge. That's what I'm getting. The officers are the management. They sh- like all the officers go down with the ship. Well, all. this is so. This is what he says inside the submarine. <laughs> Lieutenant Naquin had ordered Lieutenant Nichols to be the first man out of the boat. He wanted at least one responsible person to reach the surface. Hold the fucking phone here. (laughs) One responsible. responsible. I'm not going to put a bunch of goddamn sergeants up on the surface first. The enlisted aren't responsible. There's still still work to do down there. I need those sergeants. How far that sub goes without the enlisted? Zero, zero feet. He said he wanted at least one responsible person to reach the surface in case something happened and the rest of the crew could not be rescued. Then, those men who appeared in the worst physical condition were ordered into the bell. Oh, finally. Then, <laughs> yes, the ones then. who were almost dying. Yes. First you, Mr. Captain. <laughs> First you get to go. Go up there. It has been 28 hours <laughs> since I've sipped the finest scotches <laughs> and smoked the greatest <laughs> cigars. Sir. Sir, you're... Your O Club membership dues are, are coming in. You better get up there and pay those. By 1315, the transfer of seven survivors was completed. During the transfer, Michalowski passed down blankets, hot soup and coffee and sandwiches. With the Bell's air system, he blew fresh air into the submarine. At 1342, the bell reached the surface and discharged the first seven survivors. Did, did one of the guys, like, say, hey, Mahowski, give me a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> Where's my sandwich? I can't eat peanut butter. I'm allergic to peanuts. Ten minutes later, the bell started to the bottom for a second load. Operators of the rescue bell were W.E. Harmon and W. Batters. Michalowski was below deck on the Falcon, getting into dry clothes. At 1441, the rescue bell reached the deck of the sub for a second time. At 1515, the bell was secured and the hatch opened to receive nine more survivors. So far, the the McCann rescue. Yeah, yeah, shout out. So far, the the Momsen rescue chamber is doing pretty good. (laughs) Oh, the the you don't give the fucking glory to a bureaucrat that pushed a pushed a pencil to get he it was through. Lieutenant Commander Alan Rockwell McCann. Go on again. <laughs> I really shouldn't be so. Uh, You're just going to give the right. credit to just some lead submariner, some Navy experimental dive unit guy who's been that's what he's dedicated his fucking life to is rescuing submariners. It's gone, you know, the fucking, he's the real deal. He's gone the extra mile. He's the one that keeps pushing and pushing and pushing against the bureaucratic bullshit. I understand. You got to have checks and balances, but come on. He gets the glory. He fucking gets the glory. Okay. <laughs> you know what? You know what else he probably got to do? I ain't going to. He probably was, he was probably having an affair with Momsen's wife when he was out at sea actually doing the work. He was probably the first one uh, to jump off the bow of the Falcon saying, Cannonball! <laughs> Are you talking about Momsen or McCann? McCann. McCann, yeah. It was, it was like, McCannonball! McCannonball, nice. Nice. I bet. Uh, good segue there, Jamesy. That's right, everybody. This summer, let's remember... It's not always about the size of those cannonballs. It's about making the splash. And our friends at Manscaped are going to help the old McCannonballs and the Momsen balls make those splashes. (laughs) And uh, get all your sailors prepped for barbecue season, making sure when you're grilling on the bow of the Falcon that uh, the old grill master has the hottest dogs of the summer's ever seen. Listen. 
when you're at the cookout, you got to let the meat speak for itself. And uh, that's why you want to use Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, everybody. It's time to get ready, not just sweaty, by going to manscaped.com and using the code TGDP for 20% off and free shipping. You can get that lawnmower 4.0 in that package, Brando. You know it's got that cutting-edge ceramic blade, reduces the grooming accidents thanks to their good old advanced skin-safe technology. Advanced skin-safe technology, did you say? When's the last time you uh, had a little nip to your nuts using the old... I know I know. we're prepping for this trip up to Isle Royal here this uh, coming up weekend. We're got, it's going to be a lot of, lot of dry suit diving, a lot of condom catheter uh, installments. <laughs> <laughs> More importantly, catheter removals. You got to be uh, smooth hot dogs this coming week. <laughs> if they aren't smooth going in, they'll be smooth coming out. That doesn't sound right either, but... <laughs> well, luckily, we're going to have those Lawnmower 4.0 trimmers up there with us. Did I mention uh, that the trimmer's waterproof? Beach? Pool? Shower? Dive boat? It doesn't matter. This razor will devour even the strongest pubes while we're up there diving in Isle Royal, Brando. Hey, everybody, get 20% off of free shipping with the code TGDP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TGDP. Manscaped, it's the perfect way to get those paddlies sizzling hot this summer. Brando, by 1624, the rescue bell was ready for the third trip. Operators Michalowski and Batters, there were some minor trouble engaging the clutch of the air motor that was to pull them down. But by 1702, they had reached the sub, and by 1801, nine more survivors were aboard and ready for ascent. And at 1827, the bell reached the surface again. So the old McCann rescue chamber is just kicking ass at this point. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little background on our friend McCann. <laughs> Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> He's involved in a lot of things. He's involved in a bureaucratic capacity, it seems. You know, he's a graduate of the Naval Academy. It sounds like, you know, he's uh, a career officer kind of thing. And Well, yeah, yeah. So somebody somebody with the name and some recognition is going to get all the, the, the glory. Yeah, that's all. I, maybe I'm a little harsh on him. I don't know. Now, originally, they, they did call it the Momsen McCann Rescue Bell. Okay, that I, I could go for that. I'm a little better with that than McCann swooping in and taking all the freaking glory, especially you know when uh, Momsen is the one who's been doing a ton of the work. That was during the phases of, of prototyping. Right. Know, but, but, when, but it was uh, his you know, idea when he in finally, the beginning. Yeah, it was yeah. still Momsen's idea in the beginning. He was Correct. the one who said, we need a chamber. So, yeah, originally they call it the Momsen McCann Rescue Bell. But then, like, after all the revisions that McCann had made, it became the McCann Rescue Chamber. Yeah, it appears he was commander of the Navy Experimental Diving Unit. He did time on subs. So he wasn't completely this bureaucratic person. I just like to see the, a little bit of credit go to where it belongs. Instead, Momsen gets the lung. Well, the chamber started down on the fourth and last trip to the forward escape hatch at 1841. Operators this time were Michalowski and McDonald. By 1931, they had reached the Squalus and at 1941 opened the hatch and took eight passengers on board. Lieutenant Naquin was the last to leave the Squalus. So there you go. Good. He deserves a salute. At 2011, the chamber started toward the surface. But 11 minutes later, at 200 feet, the bell stalled. The winch would not work. Michalowski tried to bring the bell up on the brake, but at 155 feet, this too failed, and the chamber sank to 210 feet. Michalowski looked out the port in the side of the chamber and could see the conning tower of the Squalus. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> nice dramatic effect there, James. Oh yeah, like that's uh, that's a little freaky. Getting uh, getting a third of the way up, trying to <laughs> hand hand break it to the surface, and then dropping to the ocean floor. Yeah, looking freaky. 
after all of that, like you're like you're almost home, almost home, boys. You'd be like son of a bitch. A suspenseful hour passed while topside personnel tried to make a decision on how to get the bell back to the surface. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine that? You're up there fighting for an hour. Uh, Meanwhile, you're you're down there like, get me the fuck. Okay, boys, we can have this fight when we get back to the top side. But right, somebody get your asses down here. Just get a cable on us. Yeah, and yank us up. Finally, at twenty one twelve, diver W H Squire left the surface to cut the bell downhaul cable loose from the squalus. This was done, and Squire left the bottom at twenty one twenty three. The crew of the Falcon then started hoisting the rescue bell toward the surface. At 200 feet, the chamber stopped and then suddenly lowered to the bottom where it landed alongside the Squalus. What in the actual fuck is going on? Oh, no shit, right? I mean, it's just like toying with with my emotions here. The the guy operating the crane's just like, (laughs) just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Ha! Take that, Naquin. <laughs> Naquin still owes me money. <laughs> Am I going to get my money? It's Momsen on the on the command controls. <laughs> He's like, when are we changing the name of this thing? It had been decided topside that a diver should be sent down to the rescue bell to attach a new lifting cable to the top of it. And at 2149, diver J.E. Duncan left the surface. During his descent, he noticed the lifting cable on the bell was frayed so badly only a few strands of wire were holding its weight at 2155 he reached the rescue bell but his reports became incoherent and faint he was hoisted to the surface and placed in the recompression chamber in the rescue bell the personnel were in no great danger fresh air could be maintained and they had good communication with the surface The great hazard was from the cold. The temperature in the chamber continued to fall. By 2245, a second diver, E.P. Clayton, left the surface to secure new lifting cable to the chamber. He experienced trouble with the dive lights. It was now night, and his air hose continued to foul in the cables, hoses, and ropes. Again, at a depth of 232 feet, the diver became confused and had to be pulled to the surface. So here we are now, Brando. Another diver down, 230 feet, narked out. The narcosis has really taken its toll on these divers. Well, yeah, 240 feet, 230, 220 even. You know, they say that in... 70 feet of water, you start to get some minor impairments. Measurable. It's measurable. It's just minimal. Yeah. It's possible for a little little paranoia, a little euphoria, especially on a, like a new, inexperienced scuba diver, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100 feet. You can start feeling some strong effects of narcosis. A oh, lot of it just being psychological, yeah. right? Yeah, but it's measured. They've done the tests. The no matter how much you deny it, you, there's a measurable narcotic effect of, of the inert gas nitrogen at as little as 60 feet. So your your uh, mental capacities are impacted in as little as 60 feet from the higher partial pressure of nitrogen. Right. Now, you could say like a Navy diver. He's still going to be impacted. Probably working. They're, they're, they're kind of, it's like, you know, you know, uh, being able to go on. I'm trying, I'm, trying to get to, I'm trying to get a good. Uh... It's kind of like you know you muscling through it, like like you're throwing some horseshoes, you know, at the at the barbecue. As you're the drunk, first, so you yeah, had yeah, like the, six the more beers, beers the more yeah. beers you have the better your aim gets for the first couple of beers. For the first, yeah, well, that's called critical alcohol amount theory right there. (laughs) It's uh, And it's measurable, too. I mean, you can do this with darts. You can do it with pool. 
You can do it with golf. Right, right. There's a reason you score better on the front nine than the back nine. Well, you actually score better on like two holes of the front nine. Maybe, if you're lucky, if you don't sip the extra sip. But once you reach peak alcohol performance, pap, if you will, when you reach pap, it's you're teetering on a minuscule amount of alcohol that if if added you go into oblivion well because that's when the goddamn cart girl brandy <laughs> comes back over fucking brandy every time she was a fine girl now depths of 150 feet you're narked you're you're gonna start to see some motor coordination start to lose its function at no depth are you taking the rag out of your mouth and trying to give it to the fish as per the open water manual (laughs) now when you approach 200 feet on air you've definitely got some confusion some impaired judgment that's three martinis in three to five martinis in depending on your tolerance certainly i could have some some dizziness and confusion and a little bit of hysteria, maybe. Yeah, what have you found being narc? Do you find the, the euphoria versus paranoia is, is dependent upon your psychological affect entering the dive at the, I would, at the beginning? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the more intense the dive seems prior to even getting in the water is certainly going to have an effect on how that narcosis would creep up. I mean, if you're doing something that you've done a hundred times already and the visibility is good and the water conditions are really nice, I don't think you're going to have the same effect of... You'll have more of a euphoria versus a paranoia. There's there's more current. There's a little bit of windy choppiness. The water seems dark going in. You can't see the bottom. You've never been there before. Yeah, you you certainly, and you couple that with being in 100 feet or more on air, the the narcosis creeping in with a little bit more of anxiety and paranoia, most certainly. Yeah, that was always my my, uh, experience with narcosis is going into the dive kind of dictated the overall effect of the narcosis, whether it was going to be a pleasurable experience versus a, okay, I'm not feeling it. As far as uh, I'm not feeling the good vibes coming through on this dive. It's kind of like what they say when you're taking mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. I mean, you can have a bad trip shrooming. You can, or you can have a really good trip shrooming. What a long, strange trip it's been, as uh, old Jerry Garcia used to yes, say, right? It has been, hasn't it? He used to he used to say that scuba diving was the closest thing that he'd ever done to doing mushrooms. He uh, he loved he loved the colors of Grand Cayman and uh, yeah. diving the coral reefs. Oh, he, yeah. he was a, he was a diver back in. The well, day. I know he was big into the water. Yeah. At four minutes past midnight, May twenty fifth, nineteen thirty nine, it was decided to blow ballast from the rescue bell until it became light enough to be lifted by hand. If too much ballast water was blown from the bell, it would float violently to the surface with disastrous results. If too little, the bell would be too heavy for the crew to lift by hand. In the chamber, Michalowski carefully blew ballast until the bell barely had negative buoyancy. Then, the crew of the Falcon, with cold, bare hands, pulled on the frayed wire until the bell reached the surface at 0023, nearly five hours after it left the bottom. The last seven of the 33 were discharged from the bell. So, yeah, Brando, these guys hand-pulling this bell up to the surface. on the surface. That's pretty amazing shit. I mean, sure, it's it's roughly... You know, just barely negatively buoyant, but but this thing is, it's ten. It's a ten feet tall piece of steel, eight feet, eight feet in diameter. Yeah, it's I mean, massive. Like, it's got yeah, a mass like, to it that is difficult to pull in in something as dense as seawater. Right. You, you, know? you and I w- went, you know, and shot those pictures last year of of just that Mark V helmet 
underwater. We pulled that fucker. Around. Like that thing was like just like we were filling that thing up with water or with air. Oh yeah, we had to. Yeah, but but just trying to pull that around by hand, just because of the, the the sheer mass moving against the the water column, it was a pain to pull that thing up from two hundred and twenty feet of water. Yeah, well, I'm surprised they didn't have you know like some uh, salvage bags attached to it just for uh, safety's sake. You know, well, there was a lot of things that happened from this rescue uh-huh. that they realized we need some major changes into this operation. Well, yeah. I mean, well, there's no good teacher-like experience, you know? And the, the key one is going to be, you know, the, the Squalus is basically going to end the deep air operations. For the most part, until the 90s when everybody and their grandmother wanted to go technical diving. <laughs> then we bring it right back into the mainstream, and you had to earn your deep air certificate. <laughs> right, right. But these guys were so fucked up on the bottom, and, and our our civilian counterparts in the in the scuba world were not. I mean, the death toll in the nineties. You remember, it was like every week there's somebody biting the dust. They couldn't yeah. have learned from the old from old Momsen. The Swede told them. The Swede said helium. So they knew that that was a smarter gas to be breathing. But let's work harder, the, not smarter. The well, the, the divers, I don't think, in those days had the technique to pull it off. There's no technique in this kind of diving. It's all, all your stops are done from the surface, people. Correct. That's what I'm so, saying. Yeah. That's why the Navy could do that. Whereas the, the tech diving, deep diving community oh, you mean they didn't, didn't have the technique. The, they didn't have the, the real the uh, technique yet. They were crawling up the line, hand over hand, 100 pounds negatively buoyant. You with, still got to do stops, even two on air. Wing, two wings fully inflated to try to try to counteract steel deco bottles, steel <laughs> background. And, and a V-weight. Steel v yeah, You still throw the V-weight on I mean, for fun. I mean, those guys were so... Right, they didn't have really the technique, and then losing control, losing control of buoyancy is why they had a, a couple of the issues that spooked them about the helium. You do that with air, you get the same results. You still get bent to fuck. Yeah, and but you they still were. Get, yeah, uh, but they were tr- at the time. They were trying to use helium and were fucking it up, and they planed it on the helium. It wasn't another. It wasn't for another ten, fifteen years where the the finesse in the early two thousand so started to come out. This isn't going to work unless we're fucking drunk. It's basically the the mentality. You guys, this is not going to work unless we're drunk. So we have to use air. <laughs> there were people saying that, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we haven't evolved very much really, if you think about it. But it wasn't until the time of the early 2000s when finesse with buoyancy control, precision and trim and balance, being able to hold and maintain stops without having to hold on to a line, being able to do that. You're talking one and, small group, one small faction of the of the entire technical arena that was really putting an emphasis on that. The rest of them were still diving. They, they were still coming around to dive helium, and they didn't change their technique at all. There was one small faction that did did put a huge emphasis on technique and skill right and, and that the was the ca- catalyst to change everybody uh, 25 25 years later didn't change everybody we're still fighting that fight i don't know what you're talking about well <laughs> i can go to the quarry and and watch <laughs> nothing's changed in that respect yes there are a few more that you can look around and go that guy's not monkeying it around in the bottom crawling and that guy's not you know pulling himself up a, an ascent line well, I mean that should be an absolutely embarrassing. True, it should be. But. Yeah, like in twenty twenty three, that's an abomination to to the word diver. I would agree. I would agree, but it's still it's still out there, and it's still I don't want to say prevalent, but it's still out there in, in good numbers. So here in in the late thirties, nineteen thirty nine, you know they're they're going to realize that. And that this would be, you know, Momsen, who's really the, you know, a lot of the brains of this operation, along with McCann, that are like, hey, we've got to switch over to a helium. Yeah. Because these guys, you know, 
They can't operate. They can't operate. They can't do the work this deep on it. We're going to have another fatality. Yeah, yeah. we've got the, we've we've got the rescue bell. We've got the uh, we've got that working for us. The rescue chamber. But if the guys are shit face wasted trying to hook everything up, getting tangled up in the cables, you know we're going to have another accident. Yeah. We got to really learn some new new tables for this helium oxygen mixture and weren't you saying it was uh momson that was working on those well here's what happened so from the s4 so the s4 had sunk and it right. lost. that was the one in like 27 right 1927 right and it lost everybody so the loss of the s4 with all hands put the navy very much quote unquote on the spot because of the loss of lives that might have been saved Momsen had already been a big proponent of rescuing submariners and developing techniques and equipment to do so. So with this S-4 loss, he kind of rode that wave of concern because the Navy was in the spotlight now. You guys let a sub go down and everyone died on it. And what do you think that does for enlistment or for people like, yeah, I'll volunteer to go on a sub because sub work is voluntary. Anyway, the Navy was on the spot. Momsen took advantage of this, and he used an aircraft hangar that was from the, the old S-1, which is another submarine. Anyway, he used this aircraft hangar to design and build a prototype submarine rescue. Uh, in 1926 is when Momsen, he wrote to the Bureau of Construction and Repair, recommending the adoption of a diving bell for the purposes of rescuing and trap personnel from subs. So it got pigeonholed in 26, meaning the bureaucracy said, we'll put that on the back burner. Yeah, 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 thanks for the help. Right. Uh, but with the S-4, like you say, in uh, 1927. Right. Well, that was the one where they had the six, six crew were trapped in the, up in the torpedo room. They, they had divers get down there, you know, stomping their lead boots uh, on the hull, and they're banging on the inside where they're, you know, we're doing all we're doing everything we can you know via morris code Getting like are we are we going to make it, are we going to make it out alive you know <laughs> tapping yeah. on the, the you're going to be and fine then that, and then that storm comes through and it, and it wrecks the whole entire operation yeah. and everybody dies yeah that that was the s4 that was the s4 and that was the impetus the navy saw this as this could damage a enlistment, B voluntary enrollment in the sub program. If we ain't got people to do do the job, we're going to be running into problems. And they saw the value of submarines in warfare, and as well as uh, reconnaissance kind of thing. So they knew they had to come up with some kind of a rescue, at least something on paper that says, "Yeah, we can get you if you go down," because that kind of showed, like, "Oh, if you go down, you're probably dead." If you're dead in the water, if you, you sink too right. deep, you know, all this, you're probably dead. So that was the impetus. That's when Momsen started working on it. That's what I, well, that's what I mean is McCann swooped in. He was a bureaucrat to a certain degree, and uh, he pushed it through, obviously, and, and he got the name. He got the glory for, for the old rescue chamber. When you can see, it was Momsen who's actually doing the physical legwork on it. He did two years of experimentation, and the final bell was evolved and christened a rescue chamber. The success was catalyst for gaining approval for development of the submarine rescue chamber in 1930. Before he could make these changes, Momsen had gone to the Bureau of Construction and Repair to work on an underwater breathing apparatus known as the Momsen Lung for individual escapes. So he was working on both of them kind of simultaneously. Yeah, and he, as well as he was working on breathing helium instead of nitrogen exactly. at these greater depths. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the, the stuff, you know, he was experimenting and, and diving and performing this stuff himself on these new mixtures of helium that would later replace these deep air dives for the the Navy divers. Also, you know, Momsen was behind that, the Momsen lung, obviously. He got the glory for that. But the Momsen lung actually saved its first lives in October of 1944. So bad World War II shit, obviously. Eight submariners used it to reach a surface after the Tang, 
SS-306, sank in 180 feet of water in the East China Sea. So he did actually make something that saved lives and eventually supplemented by the old Stanky Hood. Right, and the Stanky was, uh, you know, like back in the 1960s is when that first got used. Yeah. Uh, On the USS Baleo. From a depth of 318 feet. 300. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? So the stanky hood is basically a hood you strap on that encapsulates your head. It traps air in this hood. It makes a bubble of breathable air around your head. So it's a little bit different than that Momsen lung, which was more or less, you know, like an oxygen rebreather type device that you had a mouthpiece, right? Right, right. And then... The stanky hood's later going to get replaced by the submarine escape immersion equipment, which is like a whole bodysuit version of yeah. the stanky hood. You know, that's also like a one-man life raft. So you're up there floating. fully encapsulated. <laughs> I want one of these. <laughs> this might be cool. It's like a full like hazmat, like uh, walking into an Ebola. You know, uh, <laughs> a medical <laughs> medical tent, you know, yeah. type of a zipped-in suit, you know. Brando, by 1341 on the 25th of May, the crew of the Falcon had rested and divers were being readied for dives to the after-rescue hatch of the Squalus. In the next three hours, three dives were made to the after-deck to connect the Bell downhaul cable. Two of the divers became totally disoriented and confused, and one of these lapsed into unconsciousness. The third diver, while adversely affected by nitrogen narcosis, was able with difficulty to perform the simple task of shackling a wire to the bale of the escape hatch. Well, there's a good example of real... Nitrogen narcosis right there. That's basically the most simplest task become almost undoable, like writing your name or just putting a, a bolt on a shackle. To, to right, like how, how many times do you think a, a, a Navy diver has, has uh, put on, a, has hooked up a shackle? Yeah, into the the thousands, if not more, tens of thousands. If you were uh, blindfolded and in a dark room, what would be easier, to hook exactly. up a shackle or write your name in cursive, legibly? <laughs> I think uh, probably hooking that shackle up would be a lot easier. Right, right. Of the, it doesn't require any fine motor control like uh, writing in cursive does, right? Right, and, and now here they are, so wasted on narcosis that they can't pull that off. So, yeah, the uh, obviously helium is the answer. Yeah, so we're starting to see the benefits of getting rid of the nitrogen, getting rid of the gas density, making this easier for these divers to work at this depth. Mm-hmm. Michalowski and Batters had secured the rescue chamber over the after escape hatch of the Squalus at 1803. The pressure in the bell was, in this case, increased until equal to the surrounding water pressure. The lower hatch was opened, and according to Batters, as he turned the wheel that unlocked the escape hatch, it began to shake and vibrate as a blast of air poured out of the submarine escape hatch and into the bell. Batters tried quickly to close and refasten the hatch, but before this could be done, he was waist-deep in ice-cold water in the lower compartment of the bell. Son of a bitch. In the upper compartment, Michalowski quickly blew high-pressure air into the lower chamber. This stopped the inrush of water and then forced the water back into the squalus. So, I mean, this is uh, quite the operation, right? The two yeah. guys, you know, one guy trying to, you know, connect the two ships together. The other guy c- controlling the, the gas pressure inside the bell to to create a, a larger amount of pressure than ambient. To, yeah. Just it's no more different than trying to, f- you know, flood and clear your scuba mask, all you uh, young budding divers out there, right? They're essentially doing the same thing, right? If you could put more air pressure inside your mask than the water ambient water pressure, pressure mm-hmm. it's going to clear. That's exactly it. And uh, But you're starting to talk about a whole lot of force 
there. <laughs> it's a little bit more than, than uh, clearing your mask at the bottom of the pool. Yeah, yeah. Batters then slowly opened the hatch of the sub, and he and Michalowski reported they saw only oily black water. The submarine hatch and the lower hatch of the bell were closed and dogged down tight, and the chamber started for the surface. The rescue phase of the squalus disaster was over. On May 26, 1939, the tremendous job of salvaging the squalus began. And 113 days later, the vessel was in dry dock, one day before her first birthday. Over 50 divers made a total of 640 dives during the operation. And uh, that is where people, uh, they realized, we can't do deep air anymore. We're moving. Back then, the excuse really was they didn't know. Ignorance was the excuse. But we know right. a lot more now, so there's really no no justification for it. And, and, you know, you look at these people all the time, and you still hear it today of people going down over the wall and taking a quick dip down deep. And that going for one minute to depth and then, then coming back up into the shallows is not what we're talking about. You know, that's... That's building a bad reputation for saying you can go to 200 feet on air and be totally fine. Right? They're, they're, <laughs> they're dipping down and coming, shooting back up. You know, that's way different than trying to spend 20, 30 minutes down there and actually Work. have a plan, have a task that you have to accomplish in getting it done and being able to function clear-headed. Yeah, and and bringing up this uh, the sub from 240 feet laying on the bottom, uh, they used a kind of a cool technique of bringing it up a slope underwater. So you attach your lift bags, your salvage bags, with long straps. Basically, it's attached, it, it's cradled in, in straps, and they're long. So you, every time you, you inflate those lift bags, it only goes up a short distance, so you have much better control of the object you're lifting. Whereas if you just attach the bags at 240 feet right onto the sub and just let her go up, you got 240 feet of water to travel through. Oh, right. You, you take a very large risk of that thing coming right back down on you because it starts picking up speed and loses control pretty easily. So you just lift it up, you know, like 10, 20 feet. Now it's up 10, 20 feet. And we've done this in, in, our, in our lake. Lift yeah, it up local about, lake, lift it, lift it lift up a boat. Boats, right, yeah. So you lift it up 10, 20 feet, and then you push it or tow it up towards that slope. So you can now release the lift bags, and it'll only fall like a foot, and it'll be laying on the bottom again. But it's up at a shallower depth as far as it is up 20 feet more than it was. So you're now you're at 220 feet. Do the same thing. And you keep going up the slope until you, you, the last lift is 10, 15, 20 feet, whatever. Yeah, you can slowly move it, keeping it balanced the whole entire right. time. Versus putting like a Blow bunch it. of different little <laughs> lift bags all over the goddamn thing. Yeah. And you're trying to control the buoyancy on you know, 10 different lift bags, you know, and, and losing right. the, the, the lift. Insane. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, Brando, that was a uh, pretty heroic three episodes. Uh, I, I really had fun on this little uh, trip to the Squalus. You know what I like about it is that as divers, hopefully you guys are getting that. We're riding on the coattails of a lot of people that have gone through tragedy and a lot of heroic people, a lot of dead people. But uh, this is one of the big ones as far as the employment and use of helium for us deeper divers. This was the beginning of that as far as naval operations and realizing, like, helium is our friend. Right. And it took, uh, and it took decades. You know, it's a half a century later, there's still people that are uh, unsure of, yeah, yeah. And the only thing that's in the debate that is, is on that side is cost. Today, I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Well, hey, we hope you have enjoyed our little dive to the Squalus and uh, talking about this deep rescue. Uh, let us know what you think. And um, we need to let you know that next week, there will be no episode. Brando and I are out of town. Uh, we've got a two-day drive to get us up to 
Grand Portage, Minnesota to, to get on a boat. We're, we're going to be diving up in Isle Royal in the, the most beautiful part of Lake Superior. And um, we will be back at you with the following week. We're going to take our first vacation, Brando. First week off. 327 episodes <laughs> later, we're going we're gonna to finally take a week off. Well, I mean, we have, we've had instances where we've had to use a, uh, a previous episode, but we've made up for it. But yeah, this time of year. We're just packed. We're packed. Yeah, so, yeah. And we can't. We're going to be gone for a whole week. We're we're going to have to let the people maybe catch up. Maybe that's what you do. You catch up on the old episodes. Catch up on the episodes and go back and listen to your favorite episodes. So when we come back at you again the following week, I'm going to take a look at the the numbers. I'm going to take a look at the stats, and we're going to break down what were the most re-listened to episodes. Of the Great Die Podcast, we're gonna let we're gonna let the people decide what were the what were the top top ten episodes of uh, of next week while we're gone diving. Do you have any uh, predictions, James? I, I don't want to skew the vote. Okay. Oh, you already did. You just <laughs> did. You just skewed the vote. All right. Let's, uh, Brando. Let's sign some logbooks. Because we can finally end this one. I'm going to sign this logbook from the Mott Schwartz Submarine Rescue Chamber. <laughs> we're, we're renaming it now you, that we did the final, how come you final, got, how come you final got revisions. Dips. What the hell? <laughs> the final, final, final revisions of the Mott Schwartz Rescue Dive Podcast. I like it. I like it. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Damn Skippy. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Blah, blah, blah.